If you're a fan of big ideas, debate, and politics, check out our festival partner, Geopolitical Magazine Foreign Policy. A forum for informed debate about global affairs, foreign policy keeps a finger on the pulse of world news and political happenings. Beyond articles that delve behind the headlines via traditional reporting, Foreign Policy has so many other products to offer, ensuring that no matter how you like to engage with eye-opening content, there is a method for you. Check out their free offerings, like Foreign Policy Live, their forum for live journalism, newsletters, and podcasts. And with a subscription, unlock in-depth features and quarterly magazines, including their recently dropped spring edition, All About India. Fans of IAI will love Foreign Policy for more of the mind-expanding, insightful content that they seek. To explore their content, take advantage of an exclusive discount for IAI fans. Subscribe now using promo code LIGHT24 to save 50% and unlock access to everything Foreign Policy has to offer. Hello and welcome to Philosophy for Our Times. Philosophy for Our Times is brought to you in partnership with the New College of the Humanities, a university-level college offering undergraduate and postgraduate degrees in the heart of London. NCH pride themselves on offering unprecedented access to a world-class academic faculty. Philosophy students at the college are taught by some of the foremost scholars in the field, and one-to-one tutorials create a personalised teaching experience. Choose your major and minor for a unique combined honours degree and study the NCH Diploma to widen your appreciation of the world in ways you'd never thought of before. Go to nchlondon.ac.uk for more information. Think better. Think NCH. What I wanted to do was just uh, talk a little bit about the baleful effect of what is a very hegemonic economic idea that I think has been with us since, well, for the last 40 years. Hello and welcome to Philosophy for Our Times. And on this week's bonus episode, Angela Eagle takes on market fundamentalism. Market fundamentalism is a theory that you can actually best distribute all decisions, goods, issues via market forces rather than using government or other forms of deliberation. Former Shadow Secretary of State for Business, Innovation and Skills, Angela Eagle has been an MP since 1992. Here she talks of her recently published book, The New Serfdom. As ever, we love to hear from our listeners here at the Institute of Art and Ideas, so please get in touch with us to let us know what you like about Philosophy for Our Times and what you'd like to hear more of. Get in touch via Facebook, Twitter or IAI TV and subscribe today on your favourite podcast platform to make sure you never miss an episode. Thank you. Back to Angela Eagle. What I wanted to do was just uh, talk a little bit about some of the premises behind the book that I published uh, with Imran Ahmed. And this idea was first generated and um, talked about by an Austrian uh, philosopher and economist called Frederick Hayek. And he wrote a book in 1943 called The Road to Serfdom. So the title of this book is A Play on the Road to Serfdom. Um, because uh, my thesis is that far from avoiding serfdom, um, as Hayek wanted us to do by using the market to distribute everything, 
We've actually created a new serfdom for ourselves by taking his ideas to the extreme and privileging um, the market in a way, uh, a fundamentalist way, and giving it far more power and giving it far more uh, effect and influence than it was actually um, created to have. And so the paradox is we've ended up where he warned us that we would end up if we were um, collective. He wrote his book in 1943 at the height of the uh, effort to win the war against Hitler, uh, in which he noticed that the British state and the American state, to some extent, had used state power and collectivism to ensure that uh, we had an economy that worked effectively enough to fight Hitler and to uh, get a proper outcome to the war. And he felt that that kind of collective action, socialism, if we could use that word, um, would actually take away all people's liberty and that they would not be free at all and they would be dictated to. And in fact, his view of democratic socialism and some of what he worried about actually played into Churchill's notorious Gestapo speech in the 1945 election, where he said if the Labour um, Party won the election, then they'd inevitably have to create a kind of Gestapo to run things. And um, Clement Attlee, being the great leader that he was, um, put him down with um, the observation uh, that actually there were far more things to worry about than the Labour Party turning into a Gestapo, um, such as fighting poverty and ensuring that we dealt with inequality. So, after a certain uh, Margaret Hilda Roberts got to Oxford, she picked up this book. And it's fair to say that it was the most influential book that she ever read. And she was very open about this when she was Prime Minister. Um, and in fact, she was delighted to be given a leather-bound copy of The Road to Serfdom by the great man himself when she was Prime Minister. And there's um, letters, gushing letters between the two of them talking about how they were going to destroy the trade unions and uh, create nirvana in Britain. So this book really looks at what's happened to our society since um, that kind of obsession with market forces has come to the fore, and it's not really a very pretty sight. Um, we've had, we've got a very uh, deregulated labour market, uh, increasingly where we have an hourglass kind of structure. So some people do very well at the lovely end of the labour market, but there's also a lousy end, and the lousy end is growing, and more and more people are falling into the lousy end of the labour market, and uh, it's particularly difficult for people now, if they're in employment, to earn a reasonable amount of money if they're not in the lovely end. And so you see people who work uh, very many hours, um, don't have trade union rights or recognition, so find it very difficult to access employment rights, who actually are in poverty, and 60% of those in poverty now are actually in work. So even though people are doing the right thing, they're not being given a reward, and nor are they being able to uh, set up and start family lives or develop own homes, aspire to have children and all the things that we took for granted. And in fact, increasingly, 
what we're seeing is people who are working longer hours for less, people who, whose uh, earnings haven't recovered since the crash in 2008 and in real terms are still below, who can't see that life is going to get better for their children than it was for them. And that means that we've got an increasing level of pessimism. And so some of what I think we're seeing is the limitations of this obsession with markets that Frederick Hayek injected into our system that Ronald Reagan um, made certain um, was injected into the American system and that Mrs. Thatcher uh, left us with a legacy of, a legacy that we didn't manage to overturn when we were last in government, uh, where we failed to change the um, political terms of trade enough uh, to turn off this down escalator into the lousier ends of the labor market. And what the book really um, points out is that these kinds of assumptions where the price mechanism um, in a market is somehow the only measurement of value, uh, where if you're well off and rich, then you need to be rewarded, but if you're poor, you need to be made poorer so you work harder. Um, where somehow morality is upended so that if you're successful, that is it in itself and somehow and being selfish at that end is a good moral thing, whereas if you're not, then um, then somehow there's something wrong with you because you're not successful. Uh, all of these issues are the exact opposite of the kind of morality and value system that democratic socialism um, would bring to the party. And what I uh, say in the book is that there are five things that democratic socialists believe that we need to reassert so there are five values, really, to sum up um, what we believe. Uh, equality, in democracy, in liberty, in cooperation, not just individualism, not just being isolated and have in a dog-eat-dog -dog kind of world, but cooperation and internationalism. And I also say that a lot of the issues that are facing us now are actually only going to be solved if we cooperate across borders and if we cooperate rather than we're in competition. So terrorism, uh, for example, doesn't know borders and needs cooperation. The problems associated with climate change and environmental sustainability absolutely need cooperation. And creating a fairer, more equal society is in all of our interests at home as well as it is abroad. And so some of the things I say that we should be thinking of, creating a much more moral basis for a taxation system, Getting away from this idea uh, and this culture that we have in the banking industry, for example, at the moment, uh, I'll be gone and you'll be gone, as John Kay calls it. You can extract all the wealth you like. You can do all the dodgy things you like, because by the time they find out about it, I, I'll be gone and you'll be gone. We'll have taken our bonuses. And, uh, and, and so somebody else can clear up the mess and we don't care. That's not the kind of society that we need to create. That's not the kind of behavior that we need to reward, but we have been rewarding it. And we can't stop it unless we take a much more collective view about what's right and what's wrong and what we want to incentivize. I also say that we need to have a much more empowering government. At the moment, we have had eight years of austerity, been coruscating um, for uh, areas like the one I represent up in Wallasey, where we've uh, seen huge problems of poverty, huge issues and problems um, caused by lack of access to food because of changes to benefit systems, the rise of uh, food banks and food poverty is an absolute scandal uh, in a country 
like ours, that actually we need to be um, take much more responsibility for the kind of society we create and the kind of values that it has. And the way that we do this, we've got to crack down uh, in terms of uh, those people who think that they can take their money offshore and avoid tax. We've got to deal with the issues around the new high-tech giants. We've got to deal with abuses in the labor market like apparent self-employment, which is taking money away from the exchequer and putting all of the risks and problems on individual workers who are self-employed rather than uh, those who, who ought to be employing them. So, for example, Hermes, the delivery company, all of its drivers are self-employed. And they have to deliver maybe 100 packages a day. They get 48p a package. They have to provide their own car, some of them. So these are not models that lead us to a sustainable labor market where we can have a society where people are happy. We have a load of fraught drivers who are running around the place, working six days a week, not wanting their work to be withdrawn because they haven't, arbitrarily, because they haven't delivered enough, who are driving when they're ill, who are driving when they've been on the road too long, and we all know what might happen um, if we're putting people in that kind of situation. We need a state that's powerful enough to empower people um, to ensure that we can have a proper industrial strategy so that we can remake our place in the world, whether Brexit happens or not. We need a state that can help guide us through the huge transitional change that will happen because of the fourth industrial revolution, which is about AI, big data, and the destruction of jobs that are going to happen and the disjunctions that are going to happen in our economy in the next 20 years. None of these things can be dealt with properly without using the power of the state, without engaging with the population in a much more collective way than we have done at the moment, and without saying, you know what, markets can't deliver everything. Markets can't distribute everything. And isn't it about time we thought of having a fairer, more equal society? That is the thing that we have to try to do the thing we have to try to get back on the agenda as, um, as I am, like a democratic socialist, and so that the only options that people have that are frustrated aren't the status quo or populism, some populists like Trump or Farage, but are actually a, an attempt to recreate um, a society where we look out for each other uh, as well as have our own individual interests, where we take care of the kind of morality that we develop, where we um, care about whether the person who's delivering um, the book, if you buy it on Amazon, uh, is being paid appropriately, is um, taking all the risks, is going to have a pension, is going to be able to um, have uh, a, a day off uh, work rather than work all hours God sends. So that's it in a quick nutshell. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Philosophy for Our Times. As ever, we'd love to hear what you thought of today's episode, so please go to our iTunes page and subscribe and rate us, and get in touch with us on Twitter, Facebook, or via our website at IIITV.